that that's what makes it so fascinating, you know, is that it's constantly changing, constantly evolving. Let's say you are a coach and you're charging like 2,000 euros for a program and you can align your campaigns and you get them streamlined and get the lowest cost per lead and the highest return operation, the highest conversion rate. That's when you make money. That's Louise McDonald, award-winning social media strategist, trainer and author. She knows how to leverage social media to drive growth using practical ROI-focused solutions that are quick and easy to implement. And in this episode of Your Truth Shared, we walk through Louise's six-step approach to effective social media that delivers on your goals. Tune in and bring a pen. You'll want to write this stuff down. I'm Finola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. Welcome, Louise. Look, it's so, thank you so much for, for inviting me. I'm so delighted to be here. What's interesting about myself and Louise, if I should share with you, is <laughs> kind of know each other a long time for most of our careers. Yeah. Uh, we knocked around together, passing by each other in corridors at training events yeah. in the west of Ireland quite a lot. So it's kind of interesting. We overlapped, kind of chatted to each other about different projects and all the rest of it. So we kind of probably kept an eye on each other over the years to kind of see where we are. It's kind of interesting to see that. Tell us how you got started, because this is a really interesting story. Um, So I grew up in a little village, in a seaside village in the west of Ireland, Enniscrone County, Sligo. Um, So anyone who knows Enniscrone will know that it's very much a little touristy seaside village. So when I was young, when I was very young, like everything shut down during the winter, you know, so there was nothing open. It was like open for the season, the season only. But, you know, as as the town developed and that kind of changed, but growing up as a teenager, I would have got my first job when I was about 14. So we all were the brigade that worked for pound an hour, you know, and we worked in the service industry. We were, you know, we were working in restaurants. We were working as waitresses. We were working, you know, from a very young age at learning how to serve the customer. And I had a a, a huge love for service, I suppose service marketing, even though I didn't even know what it was. And I remember when I going to college then and, and actually specializing in service marketing and being, you know, being taught how services are different and how, you know, how you have to treat them differently to product marketing. And I suppose having grown up in the service industry, we already had an insight into that. So um, I, I, I um, finished my degree in Sligo. Um, well, what is it now? The ATU Sligo. And um, one of the first, I moved to Dublin and, I'm, and I worked in a call centre. So I worked um, in a French call centre for about six months. Um, And what I found was that I was just really bored there. You know, it was quite a repetitive job, you know, and then I moved to another customer service job after that. And and then after that, I just said I'd had enough of customer service and repetitive tasks. And so I applied for a job in this company um, as a a marketing graduate. And when I got into the company, it was unusual in that I I thought it was going to be a factory where they made a product called EDI, 
But in fact, EDI stands for Electronic Data Interchange. So I was actually really fortunate, even though I didn't realize it at the time, that I was walking into one of the earliest e-commerce companies at the time in the country. And, you know, I walked in as a very young, very green graduate, um, not much experience under my belt and found myself to be the only female in the company. But not only that, found myself to be the only non-techie in the company. And, you know, you know, where, where you had come from, you know, a customer service role where actually half my class all got jobs, you know, from college all got jobs in the one call center. So it was like the first job was nearly an extension of college, except we had money. But th- it's interesting just to ask you, is that where they funneled graduates then into call centers? No, it's like well, I left college in 1996. OK, so. Mm. At that time, you know, the Celtic Tiger was only beginning to emerge. Mm. So I remember I was in college in France between 94 and 95, and they kept showing us articles about how Ireland was like the, you know, the, the, the economy was growing so quickly and how, you know, that, you know, we, there was going to be such opportunity. But at that time, when we were in college, we were still worried if we'd get a job after college because... because yeah, Same for me. Yeah. So when, uh, before that, people were all leaving and they would emigrate or you, you know, we'd have heard of people who had finished their degrees and were, you know, working in, you know, you know, in McDonald's, not that there's anything wrong with that. But um, mm. so when we left college and we got a job, like we were delighted. And, yeah. you know, we were, because we had, we had, we were a class of maybe 30 or 40 of us and we had all studied for, we'd spent a year in France. So we were fluent in French and these call centers mm. were opening up and they were like French call center or German call center. And they needed, they needed people who could speak fluently. So um, that's how like we all ended up kind of taking those jobs and thinking we were like, well, this is it. We've got a job. And Sonny was six yeah. months in, you're going, I can't, pay, you know, I can't have the same conversation <laughs> again. <laughs> I also got from you that very early on, you became very aware of what you loved probably earlier than most. In that I love like solving problems. Yeah, that you didn't want to be bored. You didn't want to have the same conversations. You loved doing project work. You said to me on the phone that you weren't kind of that rote learner in school. School oh, didn't yeah. start, suit you, but college really suited you because it was project based. You could use your brain. You could be creative. You were young to realize that. Yeah, I suppose. But um, I knew I loved it in college, but it was it, it still took me a while to join the dots only when it came out to work to realize actually that's what that means. You know, I remember saying in the call center, I remember being about four or five months into the job and just saying to my, my line manager and it's like, please get me off the phones. I'll do anything. Is there anything at all that I can do? Do you want me to look, analyze the data? Um, I sat down, I used to analyze the data of how long, how long it took people to answer a call, the average took, because they wanted that information at, 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 you know, at the, at the top of the organization. They wanted the average call time, the average wait time. So I would, they needed someone to do that. I said, I will do all that. So I used to analyze the data. I do anything but but be on the cold. Or if there was somebody had lost something and and I, they needed somebody to, to go around the system and find it, I would do that. You know, I just couldn't bear the, where would you like to pack it to go? Da, 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 da. Couldn't deal with it. And it's the thing I hate about call centers because you know they're not listening to you. <laughs> you know, yes, yes. 
I know you're really upset. Yes, I hate it. I I heard this story yesterday. A guy uh, going into a bar and and realizing that there was another guy there who just started and he knew that the boss is quite strict. And he says to him, uh, just make sure you're polishing a glass or something. So you always look busy, even when you're not. So you just don't get into trouble. And the guy, you know, the new guy says, yeah, 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 great. No problem. Thanks so much for giving me the heads up. And then two minutes later, the boss comes out and gives out to him for speaking to the customers. Oh, no. And we need we need better customer service. Oh, we do. We definitely do. We definitely do. That call centre, there was some funny moments in it because there was a hundred Irish people all with the same accent. So when the French people used to ring in on their free phone number, they were convinced they were speaking to the same person. Obviously, it depends on the gender, but they'd say, I was just speaking to you five minutes ago. And you're like, no, no, you weren't. And they're like, no, I was. <laughs> like, no, you weren't. <laughs> but um, it was a good start. You know, it was a great, it was, ga- it was great to get myself up. But like that, like that, I just wanted more of a challenge. Now, I just didn't realize the challenge that I was going to walk myself into. <laughs> cool. So, Tell us more. Yeah, so when I started working in, in EDI factory and I found I was the only female. Now that might not sound like it's a, a major thing, but when you're in your early 20s, it is. So it's the only female, so I didn't have any buds. And then I was the only only person that wasn't a, a coder. You know, everybody else was a techie. Um, and at that time, there was, a, you know, because it was all male, like, the, you know, and, uh, they, they used to be, be pouring like around in, in, in pockets of the office, not everywhere, but in certain. And, and I remember going, oh, oh my God. And because my, the recruiter <laughs> told me that I had jumped jobs twice within the space of a year and a half, and they'd said, you better not jump this job now. And I was, all I could think of was, oh my God, how am I going to stick this, you know? So, um, and that, like, we all accepted stuff like that then. I know, you know. Well, you see, when you're walking in and, you know, you're young, I suppose as you get older, you probably get a bit more confidence. Now, I was working there for a long time. They used to, all, they used to always go for drinks on a Friday evening. We worked in the city centre and I would not go. And then eventually I went and it was only when I sat down and I relaxed and I had to drink or two inside me. And then I was like, OK, guys, it's like this. Take that stuff down. If it's not there, I'm on there. I'll kill you, you know? So, no, maybe Brilliant. not words. But, you know, I got to know them then and they were like, yeah, yes. Oh, geez, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, but, you know, it's all, it was all learning, you know, all of that is learning. It's, you know, and that whole industry that was so male orientated, you know, um, I used to kind of nearly like it in the end that I could go in, like I worked in that company for nearly a decade. Um, um, I, I loved the fact that, even though I wasn't a techie, what I found is I'm, I'm, I love technical stuff. So, and the guys would never, they'd said they'd never do anything for me. They would show me and they would teach me. And so not that, I, not that I ever coded, but it just meant that I had an appreciation for what they were doing. And it meant that I used to have to write the marketing material in a language that the customer understood. So I, I was the bridge between the techie, the techies and the customers. You know, and I think that was very important. And I think actually when you look at what I do today, that's still what I do because I still love looking inside all the ads and the emails and the, you know, how, you know, marketing funnels work and then figuring out, like looking at the data, figuring out how all that information and then translating it. And sometimes translating is in a new creative way because that, that, that's, that's how I'm wired. But um, I used to love also when I was in that sector quite a long time and I would maybe go to a meeting 
And like that, you go into a room probably full of men and I'd be there with my, with my assistant who was my junior. And I would love how, you know, they would direct all the questions to the male. Yeah. Okay. And I would sit back and I'd go, and then he'd look at me and then I would answer them. And I was like, you know, sometimes when you underestimate somebody, then, you know, you have the, you have the opportunity to, to really impress them because they don't expect it from you because you're a female and that's shocking, but that, that happens, you know. That happened to me. I was at a Frankfurt book fair doing um, a deal with a big publishing house and the assistant that I had with me was a guy older than me and they asked me to get the coffee. And I went, no, 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 he will. <laughs> yeah, but you know, we shall survive these moments. <laughs> well, I, I used to sit back and really smile, you know, I'd be like, you know, mm. you can underestimate me if you like, but I know my stuff, you know, and I'll be able to answer all your questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So after about 10 years, you left. So I left, not because I didn't like this, the, the industry where I was working and, you know, I certainly had you know, developed um, my career in that. At that point, I was getting headhunted every second week from companies, you know, that wanted, because I I was a marketer with, you know, with digital marketing or understanding and experience. And at that time, there was very few people who had that. So, um, but I, I didn't want to stay in Dublin. I didn't want to stay in the cities. I wanted to move back home. And at that time, there was no such thing as remote working or anything like that. Like we were still on dial up, you know. Um, so um, it took me a long time, but I eventually found a, a job in Ballinat Chamber as their CEO. And um, I actually loved working there. I loved it. I loved it because, again, it, you know, it tapped into what I like doing, being creative. We we used to have so many different remits. We had to lobby the government for improvements to infrastructure. We had to, you know, represent um, our retailers represent our tourism sector, re- represent, you know, every every aspect of, of doing business in, in the town. And so we, there was so many different subcommittees and so many projects going on. Sure. I just loved it. Share with us the the two um, campaigns. You gave me two examples of two campaigns, which I thought were great. One is the N26 campaign and the other one is the Gas Network campaign. Yeah. So every year we uh, that I was there, we won an award with Chambers Ireland for various different categories within their their their, not, their annual awards. And two of these were lobbying campaigns. So one was the N26. So we were looking, we, we, we figured out that if you write a letter to the minister about, you know, you say, oh, I live on this road and I need to, to be improved, blah, blah, blah. You write a letter to the minister, they have to, they have to write you a letter back. They have to acknowledge you and they have to write a letter back. So what we did is we got a few thousand postcards printed. We put, we, we, we got sponsorship, we got the post, we posted, we got stamps put on them and we addressed them to the minister. And we actually, you know, pre, pre um, printed um, what we wanted to say about the, you know, this campaign. And then all, and we just gave them out to people. All they had to do was like sign their name and, and put their address on it or whatever and send it off. I love it because you made it easy for people to play their part. You pre-wrote them what you were looking for specifically because that would actually scare off people if they had to write a letter. You pre Yeah, great. And it worked. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> the campaign worked in that the minister had to write down lo- lots of letters. Like the N26 to this day, <laughs> stage first, stage one is done. Um, but we we won an award for that campaign because it was it was it was a cre- it was a new way of of uh, approaching it. You know, so that was one campaign that I really loved, the N26, and then. Um, it was oh the the gas spur for yeah so when if you remember all the controversy about the gas coming um, ashore in Mayo in Belmullet and um, at that time what was happening that the gas spur was just making was just um, being built but it was going to just pass through all of County Mayo on its way to the larger urban centres probably Galway is probably the nearest one. Um, and and why that was happening is that the towns didn't actually qualify. So what you had to do is have some kind of calculation over the demand that there would be in the town, and then if they if it reached over a certain threshold or whatever it was the calculation was, then the town qualified to have the the, the gas going through it. So so what we found what we found out was that that the calculation that the Irish government was using to see if your town qualified or not was different to what was being used in Europe and what was being used in the UK. And in fact, if you changed the way that the calculate, if you changed the threshold of the calculation to be in line with UK and Europe, that all the towns like that it was passing by would qualify. So we lobbied. Yeah, we lobbied. We got up to the subcommittee of energy and infrastructure in the doll, that was a great experience because you know you had to stand up and you had to present, and it was like your microphone came on when you were speaking, and there was somebody there recording everything that you said. So it was a bit daunting, very exciting, but we actually got the we actually got the the, the you know the policy changed, um, and that yeah, was amazing. why. Um, yeah, so so that was the chamber, Ballina Chamber, that and through an initiative that I had been involved with. That 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 achieved that, and it's so, so funny because this time marches on. Nobody remembers that, you know. Not that I care, like, but it was just it was a now really cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we remind them all. So um, yeah, so there are like two standout campaigns that we would have worked on, you know. So um, I love my time in in the chamber. I was there for the guts of a, a decade as well. Um, but like that, after after a certain length of time, you know, I I uh, I moved on to another role. Um, as head of marketing and PR in an energy efficiency company, because energy efficiency was the was the up and coming thing. And then um, uh, first year I was there, it was great. You know, they had so much, you know, did lots of money for marketing and PR. And then I went on maternity leave, <laughs> and I had my twins. So that was two thousand and eight. And then we had, of course, the Celtic Tiger kind of dramatically left the country, so we were in Fizzled, huge. Yeah huge downturn, huge recession facing the country when I w- eventually went back to work after after my maternity leave. And I remember going into work <laughs> and thinking, oh goodness, you know, there was no, all of a sudden there was no budget for ads, there was no budget for anything. Um, and so what I started to do with is to use my time. So I, I you know, I said, how can I, what can I do for this company? that in the time that I'm here and the time that they're paying me, that I can be as effective as I can for them. So um, everything that I would have been outsourcing. So at that before I went on maternity leave, we would have been outsourcing our search engine optimization, would have been outsourcing, you know, anything digital. So we couldn't afford to outsource it anymore. So I sat down and I started learning how to, to optimize a website. Um, I started learning how to um, run Google Ads and um, understand Google Analytics and email marketing. And I know, remember um, my good friend Frank Fullard in the in the 
County Enterprise Board, as it was in Mayo, was running a course at the time. It was like a 10-week course on digital marketing. And I'd say I was the most annoying student ever because I had a million, like I had already been trying to figure it out myself. So I had very specific questions. What happens with here? What do you do with this? And I'm sure they're going, oh God, this one again, you know, but that train, like just goes to that training in, in the local enterprise office, you know, that really helped me. Yeah. Yeah. But you have this lovely story. Will you share this lovely story about Frank? Oh, Frank. Yeah. So I wanted to do the training course and like the company that I was working for didn't really happen. They had no money like, and new things were, were tough. So I wanted to do the training course and I decided I'd just pay for it myself. So I arrived on the first evening of the training course and I had written out the check. I think it was 140 euros it would have been. Um, and uh, he just handed me back the check. He said, are you paying for that yourself? And I said, yeah. And he goes, and he says, no, put that in your pocket. Yeah, that was Frank. I have very fond memories of Frank also. We said this on our chat. Yeah. Like he was a visionary for the enterprise boards in this country. He really saw the way through so much and really wanted to serve small business. He did. And like, I don't think he'll ever appreciate like at that moment, at that time, that moment in time, you know, when like I had just come back from maternity leave. I didn't get any maternity pay. So, okay, I got the, you know, the state pay, but I was kind of dipping into my savings to keep myself, you know. Okay, I'd come back. My, I had twins, so my crash bill was more expensive than my mortgage. My husband was also worked, was also working self-employed in the, in the construction sector. Um, so it was a very uncertain time, so, you know, to come, to be coming back. And I, I knew the writing was on the wall for that job because I knew they couldn't sustain to pay. They couldn't just keep paying because there was no business coming in. They were depending on businesses needing a BER rating in order to sell their properties. So whether that was first new houses or secondhand houses. And sure, there was no, like, there was no new houses being built because everybody had either gone out of business or there was no houses being sold. And even if they were on the market, they weren't getting the BER until there was a sale agreed, which is actually what they're not supposed to do. But that's what was happening at the time. So I knew the writing was on the wall in that job. Like, I still did my, and actually, like, their website was still number one in Google, like, for years and years with all the work that I did. So, like, you know, the, I knew what I did was effective, which was good because that gave me confidence. But um, on the on the morning of my birthday, um, actually a week before my birthday, they started letting people go. Uh, my friend who had been working with me in the chamber and who had also gone to work with me in this company, um, she was let go before I was. And I remember she was so upset and I'm walking by her desk and kind of, you know, I stopped and I was chatting to her and she goes, people are going to think that I was no good at my job. And I was like, not at all. I said, it's just, it's the economy, it's the recession, it's it's not you. It's just, you, nobody's ever going to think that. And then a week later on my birthday, I got a call to go into the, the boardroom at about 10 in the morning. And I remember thinking, it's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit early for Kate. Yeah. I honestly remember thinking, and then I walked in <laughs> and they were like, we're really sorry, Louise, but your job is gone and you can leave now. And um, so, you know, and I remember I had four flights of stairs to walk down and I remember I felt my heart was like sinking into my toes, you know, um, and coming out. And I actually rang my friend on the way home and I said, oh, I need to apologize to you because I now know exactly how you felt, you know, because that that's, you know, that feeling of, oh, my God, people are going to think I was no good. <laughs> yeah. 
people are going to think I wasn't able to do my job or I, you know, that, that I, you know, so all those feelings that, um, that you feel when you're made redundant. And I've spoken to loads of people who, who have gone through that and, and they would, they would, they would identify, they, you know, they could identify with how I was feeling at the time. But, you know, it didn't take long for a fire to be lit on my belly as well, because, you know, I would have always loved the opportunity to run my own business. But I think, I don't know if I'd have had the courage, especially after having the twins, you know, because, you know, they, your whole life changes, as you know, when you have a child, but like, you're just, your whole life is, 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 um, is, you don't, is not, not unrecognizable. Um, from what it was before you have your children. So, um, and having twins as well, I mean, I have nothing to compare to having one at a time, but, you know, it was massive. You know, you were trying to, you couldn't go, you, could, you know, if you wanted to get your hair done, you had to negotiate with somebody, you know, if your husband is working on a sash, you're like, would you mind not working? Because I need to go get my hair done. And it's like, you know, when you're leaving the house and then you're telling people when you're going to be back before you've even left, you know, <laughs> and you're used to having all this freedom on your life. So that was a huge change. So, so, um, yeah, so anyhow, so I started up my business, um, haven't been, haven't, haven't been made redundant. So, and I was very fortunate that very early on, I won a contract with, um, Folger Ireland. They were looking for market e-marketing mentors and you had to have tourism experience. Now I always loved tourism. I loved that sector, having grown up in it. Um, and they need, they wanted you to send in three examples. Now I had only worked with three companies. And small <laughs> little projects. So, but I suppose the fact that, you know, I was, uh, the fact that I was a marketer and I did, I knew how to do SEO. I knew how to do Google Analytics. I knew how to do email marketing. I knew how to, you know, integrate the online with the offline because the offline would have, would have, would is what I would have been doing traditionally. The online is what I had learned. Um, and at that time, like social media wasn't like, it was so, so in its infancy, infancy that that was, it was, it was such a minor detail. It was like, oh yeah, mm. Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. I can do that too. You know? So, um, it was very unusual. The skills I had were quite unusual and that I suppose was what got me onto that panel. And I remember the first job I got from them. Um, you know, the first, like not job, but like they give you a, an assignment. And I remember thinking like, I will leave no stone unturned. This will be the best assignment anyone has ever, <laughs> you know, that was, that's actually always been my attitude to everything, you know, because mm. if you do a good job, people generally want you back, you know? Yeah. Or they refer you. Or they refer you. Mm. Mm. You decided to write a book then. So that was, so I started the business about 2009 and I started with Fulcher Ireland, was very busy with them. And then my good friend, Frank Fullard, rang me up out of the blue one day. And he said, you know, he was also supportive of my business, always. Um, and yeah, he rang me up one day and he said, Louise, uh, I have loads of people asking for like Facebook training. And I said, Frank, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. And he goes, would you just please do it? I can't get anyone. Would you please do it for me? And I said, all right, so. So um, created a course, delivered. You never said no to Frank. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, and because, you know, I suppose I didn't want, you know, he had been so good to me, in it, you know, in so many ways. Anyhow, of so course. put this course together and now I'm not joking, if, if no, it took me a long time to figure out how to structure that course. 
because you would go, like you go in front and you'd have 15 people and they were all at different stages and someone had never looked at Facebook and some were on there all the time. And it's like, so even that was a learning curve itself. So eventually you know, I figured out to start putting like a strategy together and, and organizing that into my courses. And I suppose, you know, you're a trainer, like the more you train, the better you get. And me with my, you know, always trying to improve myself, I never deliver the same course twice because every time I came home, I would go, that didn't feel right. That They got that. They really didn't get that part that, you know, could do that better. Now, they all said it was a brilliant course, but I would, I was always just trying to refine. You'd refine. know. Yeah. You'd know the flow in the room, what was hidden. Exactly. And that's why, you know, even to this day when I'm training online now and I'm like, put on your camera so I can see your faces. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <read> you. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so, but anyhow, so, so I, the, that course I delivered oh so many times in Mayo, and then I started delivering it in other counties in Sligo and Roscommon and Donegal and Leitrim. Um, and then it actually it was one evening I came home from a course in Leitrim, and I got a phone call out of the blue from somebody who said, "One of my friends was on your training course today, and they're raving about it so much. I just thought I'd ring you and let you know you should probably write a book." <laughs> wow. Pretty cool. So I was like, oh, and, and they were like, yeah, you probably have a lot of material because you're training on it. You know, you probably have mm. a lot of material already there. So that kind of sowed the seed. And then I was like, oh yeah, I, I probably do have all the material. And then two years later, I was still going, oh, yes, I must do that. I must do that. And then hadn't made any progress with it. And then one day out of the blue, this little ad popped up on my Facebook feed, how to write a nonfiction book in 10 weeks. And I watched the webinar and I clicked through and I got on a call with girl and I signed up to her program. And she was based in the UK and I spent a lot of money in that program. Um, and I firmly believe when you spend a lot of money on a program, you'll show up to every class yeah. and every bit of homework. And now I didn't have the book written. She was saying I'd have the book written in 10 weeks. I didn't do that. But I had the structure of the book. I had a lot of it bits written. It took me another six or seven months to write it. And then I found a publisher and then had to be edited and proofread. And then all the graphics had to be created and all of that. So yeah, the, the book is it's still there. So it was published in 2017, Facebook Marketing, The Essential Guide. So in, in many ways, you know, people associate me only with Facebook, but like in 2017, it, it really was still, you know, the the, the 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 leading social media platform for business. So although I would and my agency, like we train and we we manage social media uh, accounts for business across all the platforms, um, it's still probably the Facebook is probably the one I'm I'm most uh, associated with um, for that reason. For that reason, but that's okay. I, I'll take that, you know. Um, and people still buy that book. I was saying, you know, even though, yeah, you know, it's gone. If if you look through it, it's all strategy. It's all it's 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 because it's the approach I took when I was trying to figure out how to design the training courses. But I find that about social media strategy and SEO strategy that once you crack it, yes, things change, algorithms change, the specifics can change. At the heart of them the heart of them, they don't really change. I just was making that point today. 
There was a guy, and, ah, yeah, okay, I'm making cool. that point today. It's like, absolutely, I totally agree with you. At the heart of it, if you have your basic strategy, it will work. And I was actually, this was in relation to SEO. I was talking to a guy, I was, it was just a friend of mine. We were on, he goes, Louise, would you mind having a look at this? And I looked at it and I said, do these things. These are the basic things. If you do these, you'll be fine. You know, so it's the basic strategy that, and you know, sometimes getting the basic strategy right uh, is not that easy. Yeah. And connecting the dots to the business. Connecting the dots to the business. Like, and so, you know, I have my, my, my annual planner I bring out and I say, like, if you bought the planner three years ago and you filled in all the sections about what your goals were, what your unique messages were, who you're targeting, what their pain points are, you need to do that every year because, I, you know, you probably need to do it more than once a year because it changes, you know, and some your messaging needs to change and the environment is changing and how people interact with media and the social media and the world is always changing. So if you're using the same messaging, the same tactics that you were using this time last year, forget about it. So the, the basic steps of creating the strategy don't, don't change, but the strategy changes. Exactly, exactly. And what change, what makes you change it is how in tune you are with that customer, how in tune you are with what the environment is that they're working on, how their pain points might have evolved, all that stuff that changes. Yeah. Bang on. Bang on. It does. And how, and how, you know, you got to change is you got to follow the data. Yeah. Okay. You have a six step approach to digital strategy. <laughs> yes. For our wonderful listeners who want to know, tell me more, Louise. <laughs> what is so what are the steps that you should follow to put the strategy in place? Yeah. And it, I, and this actually emanates, Finola, from those early days of my Facebook training when I used to come home going, oh my God, <laughs> what do I do with somebody that's never been on a social network and somebody that's on it all the time? And they, you know, so I said, I'm going to teach some strategy because if they all, they'll all come away with something that they can implement no matter, no matter where they are, you know, how far along they are in creating that strategy. I think it's that if you teach strategy or if you share strategy with somebody, if you help them understand strategy, they actually understand what they're doing and the rest just falls into place. Exactly. Yeah. Go for it. So my six steps. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Step one then is obviously it's setting your, your the foundations, putting your goals in place. So being very clear about what it is do you want to achieve if you're running a campaign, whether that would be for six weeks or six months. So having a very clear vision of what you want to achieve. Okay, I have a question. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah. So because I can see it, I see it in clients and people looking at you going, yeah, goals. And then they get really confused. They're like, yeah, I have to build awareness and I have to build sales and I have to, and I have to, and I have to. How do they decide what the goals are? Okay. So for coaches or consultants, right? Which a lot of the people time I'm working with people in the service sector, because it's actually a little bit more harder for them. Mm. Okay. So if you're a coach or consultant, how, what, like, what are, like, this is, this might sound really basic, but like, what are you selling? Are you selling one-to-one -one packages? Are you selling group packages? Are you selling a mastermind? Are you selling an online course that's live? Are you selling an online course that's on demand? Like, what is it you're selling? On how much of it do you want to sell? So if you say, if I come across a coach and they go, yeah, I want to do a group, group coaching. I want to, I want to recruit 10 people 
to, to or eight people, whatever it is, for a group program, I want to start on this date and I want to charge X amount for that. Okay. So so sometimes that, like that's an example for a coach. I was doing a mentoring session some time ago for a lady starting off in a very small business, but the same principles apply. So this just doesn't apply if you're a large business. It also applies if you're small. So this lady was starting off and she wanted she was a crash in a craft business and she was making jams and chutneys. And I said, Oh, like what's your goal? How many do you want to sell? And she's like, Oh, I don't know. And I said, Okay, well let's 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 figure out what the basics gonna be. What did you have to buy? And she goes, well, I've had to buy like a hundred pots. And I said, let's start with there. So if you sell a hundred pots, what are you going to charge? I don't really know. So, okay, let's go have a look and see what are similar products. And then all of a sudden we started putting a price on it. And then all of a sudden we were like, we had like a, a revenue goal. So that's what I mean, like to start out with a goal. It's like something that's really specific. I'm going to think measurable, achievable. And with a time frame associated. Um, because if you come to your social media marketing or your digital marketing and you don't have that clear idea of what you want to, you know, what you want to achieve, what'll happen is you'll just end up going on social for the sake of it. And you'll just meander along and you could find yourself six months or twelve months down the line, no further along in your business. And, and it might be that you're busy, that you, you might be busy. You might be busy firefighting or doing stuff that doesn't serve your business, doesn't earn you money, or isn't what you want to really be doing. But if you don't set down, sit down and set out a goal and put a time limit or, you know, time frame on that goal, that's your starting point. So that's, that is step one. And I have another question for you. Yeah, go. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever find, because I'm just relating some things that I am asked, do you ever find that they're trying to do everything all at once, that they have multiple goals and they want them all achieved all right now? What do you say to that? I say, I, I say you know, it's okay to identify other opportunities that you don't, are not going to pursue immediately. But what you've got to do is look at the resources that you have available and pick out the goal that's that you're going to work on right now. It's totally okay, okay to say I'm going to park that for six months, or I'll park that until I get this one done. Because on, because if you try and chase in too many directions at the one time, you'll never reach any destination. You never reach any goal. So yeah, yeah, I think it's and I think as well one of the conversations that I have so frequently with people when they're setting at the very beginning of their, you know, setting their goals and what their offer is, setting their offer, is that they don't price it. They don't take into consideration when they're setting the price, all the costs associated with delivering that service. So I was talking to a guy and he's looking at launching a, a, a training program. It's two, And he said, I'm going to charge 2,000 euros. And I said, okay, and what's your competitor charging? They're charging 3,200. I was like, okay, and why, why are you charging 2,000? And then, you know, and then we had that bit of the conversation. And I said, and have you factored into the 2,000 your marketing costs, your costs maybe having an agency, your costs, your ad costs? Have you factored that into the 2,000? So maybe if you even charged, you know, two and a half thousand or 3,000, you would have 500 or 1,000 per person that you can afford to spend on marketing. He goes, oh no, I hadn't thought of that. 
you know, so when people then later on in me six steps go, I don't have any money for advertising. You're like, well, how are you going to catch your customers? Great. You know, so, so step one for coaches, consultants is getting, being very clear on your offer, what it is you want to achieve. That brings you into step two. It's who your, who that ideal customer is and profiling them, not on the surface, will they are this age or this then no really profiling their pain points the you know the the words that what the, to really understand what life looks like for them what their challenges are how you know what if they have a challenge how does it show up in their lives what words do they use like to really profile them profile them in any deep way because that's going to help you with your messaging and with your content further down the line and there there is I'm I'm wondering if you find this also, there's this huge resistance to people doing that in any level of depth. Whereas when you do it in this level of depth of finding the pain points articulated in the words that they use to of what they call their pain and how they articulate the pain gives you the language for the ads, for the landing pages, for everything. Exactly. So what tends to happen, as you know as well, Fanola, that um, we are experts in, you know, and coach, if you're dealing with a coach or consultant, they're an expert in what, they, in what they do. And we might have taken them 10 or 20 years to get that level of expertise. So when they see their ideal customer, they know what's wrong and they know the solution that they need. But here's the thing, the ideal customer, the customer themselves, they don't know necessarily what the solution is, but they just know what's wrong with them. And th- that's two different, that is two different things. You're, so you market on the surface, you market to, to people on the surface of what they know it's, is their reality. Um, and then sometimes your solution comes after that. So if you just, you know, if I stand up and I say to people, um, you know, I could say like, you need a marketing strategy. Or, you know, I could say to them, you know, you need to stop procrastinating and wasting your time. They probably know that they procrastinate and waste their time. They might not know that the solution is a strategy, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So step two is profiling. So in my in my academy, we, you know, we have a whole series of training courses that we that we encourage people and, and exercises that they go through in order to do that profiling and anyone who does it, who actually goes off and does it, they're usually gushing, like gushing with what they have learned, you know, and that's so, so valuable. And even I know myself, like anytime I'm, anytime that I'm on a, on a sales call or on a call with somebody, you know, I will always have my pen and paper to hand and I will write down the words they use. You know, so that's me continually profiling, continually listening to what people are saying, continually tuning in. So that I, I go, oh, that's a good, oh, that's a good term. Oh, I'm going to use that, you know. So, um, yeah. So that's step two. That's profiling the customer. Step three then is getting clear on the messaging and optimizing the landing pages, the websites, the social media channels, all of that. That's all step three. Um, because if you don't do that, it can be the number one reason why you're if you're busy on social media and you're driving people to websites, landing pages or to your to your channel and they're just leaving with, without taking an action. What's the most common thing that you see at fault on a landing page? I think the most common thing that I see, because landing if somebody's gone to the bother doing a landing page, they're probably they know that what they need, you know, lots of people that wouldn't know what 
a landing page is or how to use it. So the most common mistake that I would see is that really poorly optimized social media channels. So if you, let's say you've created the most interesting reel or TikTok or Facebook post or whatever it is, and then the first thing that people do is they'll watch your your content, they'll tune into your content. If they're interested, the next step that they take is they go check out your profile. So if your bio is not serving you, if it's not communicating who you are, why they should do business with you, you don't have a, a, a good lead magnet or you know a good call to action in your in your bio, and then they just leave without even following you. That's your your wasted opportunity. So step three is hugely important, um, and like that, then optimizing landing pages and 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 websites is just to make sure the core messages are there because so sometimes the content's just too generic. Um, a step four then is social media content. So um, within that, when I'm in, in training in the academy or, or when we're working on a strategy within the agency uh, for our clients, we would t- tend to, to work under four different content pillars. So we talk about awareness content, which is content where you're not, you're not selling, you're not giving advice, you're just simply connecting. So everybody's, there'll be People will find different um, awareness types of awareness content depending on who they are and what they're comfortable with and what's authentic to them. Okay. Um, then you have consideration content or expert content, and that's where you're positioning yourself as an expert in the on the eyes of the ideal customer. That's where you give your advice. So, for example, I can might give advice on, you know, five changes that have happened in the you know Facebook ads platform in the last two months. That, that's an example of advice. So I position myself as an expert. Um, the awareness then, if, if I take a photograph of the dog, yeah. I take a photograph every year, I set it up, I'll be honest, of my dog with her Christmas jumper beside my planner. <laughs> and she'll generally sell more than I will. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But that again is looking at the data. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I live my data. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a set awareness content, consideration content. Sales content then is when, you know, you're, you're selling, you are actually selling something. Again, if you're, in, if you're a coach or consultant or an online expert, you know, if you say, oh, here, join my, te- my group coaching program, here's an ad, like 100% guarantee you that will not work. So you have to think of if, if, especially if you're selling services, you need to create funnels. So your your fun, your sales become a sales funnel rather than just a post promoting what you're doing or an ad promoting what you're doing. Yeah, you know, I came across another person. They were like, "I did I did three posts. I did three posts. I didn't get one sale." And I'm like, "I'm not surprised that <laughs> <laughs> you need to be doing three or four or five posts." A week, and you need to be, you need to be running ads weekly, you know. To so, anyway, that's your sales, your sales content, or your sale, um, and then you have your advocate content, which would be your um, third party endorsements. So that can be a testimonial from your clients, or maybe if you've written an article and or you've been featured on a podcast, this would be like my advocate content, and we feature we being featured in this podcast, um, and then that's your content. So. Content, of course, is not just social media content. It's your blog content. It's your nurturing email content. It's your, you know, your lead magnets, your, you know, 
your podcasts, your videos. It's, you know, pod, um, so that's all under step. What, what step am I on? I'm on step four. <laughs> and then step five then is augmenting your organic content with paid reach. Um, so, you know, I will say there's three benefits of, of running paid ads. There's the direct benefit immediately. Um, so if you're, if you're, you know, if you're running a, an, an ad for a webinar or a lead magnet, it's the people that sign up and turn up. There's the direct benefit. The indirect benefit are the people who reach out and say, you know, I don't really want you to do that training course for me, but would you put together a custom course for a whole other set of people that, and there's your indirect benefit. And then your future benefit are the people who noticed it, maybe started following you. Maybe now they're on your they're on your email list. Maybe they didn't turn up to the webinar or whatever event you were having, but they're now a lead, they're there. Um, or they're or they're now following you on social media and they're going, I might need their help next year. You know, so so that's the benefit of running ads. And and you know, I say like social media, I love social media, but the days of running campaigns on the back of organic reach are gone. They're just gone because you can't depend on it. You know, you could put a post up, a cute post of your dog and it'll reach a few thousand people. Um, and then you put a post up of your new, whatever your lead magnet and it reaches, you know, a hundred people. Um, so you can't run a business on the back of that. So again, following the data, I say to people, look at the click-through rates on your ads, look at the click-through rates on your social media and do the numbers. You know, so if you if you have a click-through rate, of, an average click-through rate around the world across lots of industries is about 2%. So let's say you have, let's say you're running an ad for a webinar and 2% of people that see it click through. So let's say you get 100 people, 100 people to sign up for your webinar and let's say you have 50% show up rate, which is kind of even good, kind of can be less than that. That's 50 people turning up. And let's say you have a 10% conversion rate. Okay, now you have five sales. So an average conversion rate of webinar between would be between six and twelve percent. Okay, so then you figure out how many pe- how many people you need to need to hear about the webinar to get a hundred people there if there's a two percent con- conversion rate, and you work the numbers. And I think most people don't work the numbers. No, they don't. No, they don't. I was listening to I was listening to a podcast um recently about a um, a company who had a hundred thousand of a launch. And they said they had a 3% conversion rate and they spent 6,000 euros on the ads. So I was like sitting down, I was going, okay, 700 people, was it? You know, so you, you know, so if you're not going to spend money on ads, how are you going to reach the right people? Do you have a preferred paid platform, ad platform for coaches and consultants? Because a lot of people would feel that LinkedIn is very expensive. Facebook, they wonder about, or they, you know, is it really relevant anymore? And then they realize that actually they have more engagement when they're in Facebook. And then there's Instagram, which is often just, sometimes it's vanity and sometimes it's, you know what I mean? Any thoughts? Um, for running paid ads, the best performing, most cost-effective platform at the moment is the Facebook ads manager for running ads across Facebook and Instagram. If you run the ads from Instagram, promoter posts on Instagram, they're not as good in my experience. I find that if you promote stuff on Instagram, you'll get the vanity, you'll get lots of love hearts, <laughs> but not very much action, you know. And that, again, that's something you're always testing. Um, whereas 
if you run the ads from the Facebook ads manager, now I don't mean the ad center and I don't mean Facebook, I mean the ads manager where you have like six different objectives and within those there's many, there's a few different options within those. So you have about 13 different um, options on your ads. Um, That's the best performing at the moment. Still, now if you're, you know, if you're um, targeting C-suite coaches or consultants or, you know, then you're in LinkedIn, you know, you're, you're not in Facebook. And you might be using different tactics. So you may not, you may be investing more in tools to help you to, you know, it's sales navigator or there's a wonderful tool that I've started using, EVI AI, so to help with engagement. So you may just use different tactics, um, but you'll have a totally different approach because you're probably looking for, you know, probably smaller numbers of higher paying clients. Um, so it's just a different approach, but you still follow the six steps, you know. But link, LinkedIn, LinkedIn ads tend to be more expensive and you definitely need, you need to be targeting larger markets. I think the if you're in Ireland and you're trying to target an Irish market, it's too small. You're better off to have more of an international focus for LinkedIn because your audience, you'll be able to reach a more specific audience, but it'll be, it'll be, it'll be international. And you will spend more, but you're probably going to gain more from the business you're going to, you know, so it's all relative. You don't do a tiny offer on LinkedIn. No, you're targeting, you're targeting, you know, you're targeting a 15K or a 20K client or, you Mm. know, rather than a 2K, you know, so it depends. And and obviously your your customer dictates. I started doing some ads on on TikTok recently. Mm. So, um, yeah. Um, there's two different ways you can run ads on TikTok. You can kind of like do a boosted post or you can go to their ad center. So, um, yeah, 30 days. I mean, if you know how to use Facebook. How's, what kind of results are you seeing? Um, it kind of reminds me of Instagram. Lots of loves. <laughs> Lots of loves. But, <laughs> you know, I think my account, my account is very small on TikTok. I'm just kind of uh, playing around with it more so than anything at the moment. Um but uh, yeah, the, the ads are, they're interesting, they're interesting. And like that, I just, um, I, I love just watching the results and seeing. So um, yeah, you can, it's, it's definitely not as busy. So, you know, you can spend two euros and get 2000 views. You would not get that in any other mm-hmm. platform at the moment. So it depends on who you're targeting. I think people, it's good for people to play with ads with not, t- with the intent to learn first. Yeah. Exactly. So that would be step five. Um, it's to augment your organic reach with paid reach. And so they, that might be a Facebook and an Instagram ad. It might be TikTok if your audience is all hanging out there. Okay. It might be an Instagram um, sales navigator or other paid tools to help you navigate and find your customers and start conversations with them. It might be, you know, it might be working with an influencer. It might be paying the influencer to help reach your time. You know, so there's many different ways that we can pay but it's about not depending on your organic strategy, which organic is non-paid for. So that will not work by itself. And a paid strategy without a good sound organic strategy won't work either. And neither paid nor organic will work if you don't know your goals, you don't know your core messages and you haven't profiled your customers. So that's why it's step one, two, three, four, five. Okay. And then step six is follow the data. Step six is sit down at every step of what you're doing, you got to analyze what you're doing and you got to, you know, tweak it. If it's not working, it won't always work. Like nine times out of 10, it won't work. But it's about learning not to give up when it doesn't work 
and it's about, you know, just coming back at it again from a different angle. I think that's a really powerful message to give to people nine times out of 10. It doesn't work. Nope, doesn't work. You have to figure out with the data, I think, also of where did it stop working? Where did it work? What can you build on what you learned what, from what worked? Because usually you'll find something has just fallen through. You'll find it in a message. You'll find it in something you missed. You'll find it, you can even find it in the creative not working because you weren't tuned into the pain points. Exactly. Yeah. Or sometimes it can be that, you know, it just needs, it needs to be rewrapped. You know, you've maybe, you've you've used the creative up. <laughs> you yeah. need to go back with a different angle, you know. So there's so many different, there's so, that's what makes it so fascinating, you know, is that, you know, it's constantly changing, constantly evolving. Um, but then when it works, you know, that's, like, see, if it was easy, everybody would do it and everybody would get it right. But it's, you know, it's not necessary. But if you can get it right, that's when you can, if you can get yourself, if you can get, you know, your, your, your campaigns aligned, you can go, you, you know, let's say you are a coach and you're charging like 2000 euros for, for, for a program and you can align, you know, all your campaigns and you get them streamlined and get the lowest cost per lead and the highest return up rate and the highest conversion rate. That's when you make money, you know. You have a wonderful lead magnet or a wonderful tool that you want to share with us um, and then we're going to put it in the show notes. Can you tell us about it? It's how to save time and get more leads. <laughs> yeah, how to save time and get more leads. So it's just all about leveraging social media and AI. So everybody, AI is kind of exploding this year and everybody's talking about how should they use it and how, what is it and should they, and what is it and how they can use it. And this um, ebook will just kind of go through it in a very practical way. So it kind of goes through all the different types of AI that there are out there. Um, it'll go through then um, how as, you know, coach, consultant, or an expert, how you can use it. It goes through the pit, pitfalls to avoid. And then there's a little section on ChatGPT um, where I just show you how to create a prompt. Then I show examples of prompts that I put in, the results that, that I got, and then how I um, tweaked the prompt to make the results you know, more usable. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a good little ebook. So, um, yeah, you're, you're very welcome to enjoy that. Fantastic. And tell us a bit about your planner that's just coming out. Yeah, so my planner, um, I bring out an annual planner. This year it's uh, obviously the 2024 Social Media Planner and Guide and it's for coaches, consultants and online experts. So again, it's always following my theme of my six steps. So this, um, the whole planner is going to help you with your core messaging, your pro customer profiling and to show up consistently. So that's kind of the three aspects of my six step system that the planner that the planner and uh, is my goal for, for the planner. So the first section of the planner is all about, you know, very practical tips for how to how to use social media effectively and how, you know, to use your time as effectively as possible. So a lot of time I hear people saying they feel like they're wasting their time or they're just not getting the return for the time. And my response always is that the more strategic you can be about it, the more that you, you know, you show up and you know, oh, I need to do X, Y, and Z, one, two, and three today, you'll do it faster. So the first section of the planner helps with that. And then within the planner, um, I talked about the four content pillars in, in this um, interview. So there's actually a hundred ideas for here's here's you know, an idea for awareness content. And not only that, it shows you how to write the description, what you you know should be thinking about when you're writing the description. So there's under over a hundred ideas for that. And then there's 400 prompts in it for special days. So today is the 28th of November. So 
from memory. I'm just opening this year's planner. That's next year's. I'm opening this year's planner. So, so 28th of November is National French Toast Day. So, <laughs> like, how would you use that? So, so like, you may have like, um, you may have a nutritionist who decides that they're going to show you how to do that. You know, I love how it. to make it. You know, high protein. Yeah. Or you may have, you know, um, a hotel who's showing that, you know, this is the home cooking or, or a cafe, or you may have, you know, another company who's just maybe, who's maybe there's a French connection there and, and they're going to or, or tell a story about it. So, um, and then tomorrow is Electronic Greetings Day. So that's the day I'm launching my 2024 planning guide. So sometimes oh, you can. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so the, the whole idea with the prompts is that, you're, what you've got to do is tie the prompts into what your goals are, your core messages are, and make them unique to you. But also to kind of t- bear in mind that on the day that the prompts are going out, like for example, last week there was World Children's Day, but then the RTU News were featuring news stories around that. You know, and if you had been on the ball on social media and done something different, and maybe you were a charity or maybe you're a company that supports a charity and you get to talk about that. Um, and make a big deal about it on that day. You just wouldn't know who'd pick it up if you're using the right hashtags. So that's the whole idea. There's over 400 prompts. So every single day of the year has got a prompt. And and not only that, um, the, the the planner itself comes with um, over 300 euros um, of free resources. So um, you can, there's a QR code you can scan in it. And that brings you to the content calendar. We give an electronic version of that. So you get um, a Google sheet with the, a content calendar that you can use, and all the prompts are already built into it. It's we use it every we use it every day of the week with our agency clients, um, and that, there's a free training course in it as well on my six step system, and then there's another free uh, download on how to build build your bios, how to get how to build your bio that incorporates your core messages. So that comes free with the planner as well. So once you buy the planner, you can scan the QR code and bring it to the page where you can download all those resources. Fantastic, and there are links to buying the planner in the show notes as well. What would you like to leave people with today, Louise? Oh, you know, if if you're really serious about achieving something in your business and you've been stuck for quite a while, you know, take action and um, and don't be afraid to invest in yourself. You know, the likes of myself and Finola, there's lots of businesses out there who can help you. It's plenty of work for everybody. But I think if I was giving advice to my younger self, I would have, I've invested in a lot of masterminds in the last 24 months and I have grown a lot as a result of, of doing that. So sometimes, you know, trying to figure it all out by yourself can mean that you go on a much longer journey. So, um, you know, that's, that'd be my advice today. If you're serious about doing something about your business, don't be afraid to take an action. You know, don't be afraid to invest in yourself and invest in your company. Um, and yeah, because And don't be afraid of failure because chances are you're not going to get it right. That's fine. But when you don't get it right, you learn how to do it better the next time. Exactly. Thank you so much for your time, Louise. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about Louise, check her out on LinkedIn and download her free AI powered social media ebook. There's a link in the show notes. And if you'd like to support the show, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a difference. And reach out and let me know your takeaways from this episode. Have a great day. See you next week.